we updated our impact report for Trail Accelerator Grant. And just to recap, what we've done um, since 2018 is that we've funded 42 projects, 42 applications uh, for planning and design uh, to the tune of $577,000. Matching that then means that we've done over a million dollars in planning and design. And uh, that has unlocked $12.8 million of funding for construction. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blom. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 149, we have Mike Repiak. Mike is the Director of Planning and Design for Imba Trail Solutions. Mike played a key role in helping to bring the latest mountain bike trail development book titled Mountain Bike Trail Development Guidelines for Successfully Managing the Process to Life. Mike provides his take on how the book came to be and why it's necessary to have this book in our world of trail building, along with some of the latest work coming out of Imba Trail Solutions. This is part two of the three-part series on this mountain bike trail development book. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. I've been working through a week of rain now, which has included many hours outside. During this time, I use the Cattle Mountain Escapade Lightweight Active Jacket, and while it's not exclusively designed as a rain jacket, it's worked extremely well. As usual, you can grab yourself a 20% discount for the month of October on all Cattle Mountain apparel using the coupon code TRAIL20-OCT. That's TRAIL, the numbers 20-OCT. Check out the show notes for the 20% discount code as well. Also, don't forget you can grab yourself 20% off on all TRAIL1 components by using the code TRAILPOD. Again, this code is also in the show notes. Now onto the trail effect with Mike Repiak. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I got Mike Repiak. Mike is the Director of Planning and Design for Imba Trail Solutions. Mike was also featured in multiple other episodes, including an old episode of Driftless Dirt, but he's in episode 105 where we discussed everything that was going on with Imba and Imba Trail Solutions in 2022, along with an extensive discussion about the Rib Mountain State Park Master Plan here in Wisconsin, which is kind of a earth-shattering, monumental master plan that actually has finally since then been adopted. And then Mike was also part of episode number 10, where we discussed the Imba Trail Accelerator Grant Program and, and what that is doing in the trail community. So how's it going today, Mike? Going really good, Josh. Uh, great to see you here. Um, you know, we stay in touch pretty often, but it's always good to sit down with some time set aside to chat all things trails within uh, Trail Solutions and just the trails world. So uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, for sure. Like we haven't seen each other face to face since Reno. Yeah. So that was what that was back in was May. April. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising. Usually we see each other more often, but you mentioned the Rib Mountain piece. Uh, that plan now has officially been archived. So it's it's set, ready to go. And uh, we're talking about next steps in refining the concept plan and getting out and doing some design uh, next year. So it continues to move on. We're pretty excited. Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a huge thing for the state of Wisconsin, as we both know that there are some awesome mountain biking opportunities in Wisconsin. But when it comes to having those opportunities on state owned or managed properties, it's uh, pretty sparse, but changing fast. Yes, absolutely. And I know the last time we talked on your podcast, we talked a lot about Wisconsin projects. So well, let's, we shouldn't dwell on those too much on this podcast. Before we get into this, so we're here to talk about the mountain bike trail development, a guideline or guidelines for successfully managing the process, that book. But before we get into that, let's get into what's new with Trail Solutions and kind of some of the stuff you guys have done in 2023 so far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, pretty much been business as usual. Uh, just like anyone else in the trails industry, we're all crazy busy. Uh, maybe some of the bigger news for us is that I added some planning and design staff over the past uh, 12 months. 
uh, mainly folks that are at the ground level, uh, some of our production staff helping out with uh, planning and design, plant map sets and uh, field work and supporting our, our more experienced planners. So that's been really good to add that capacity. Um, we've really, with some of that capacity added, really leaned into doing signage plans. We've been doing signage plans associated with uh, construction projects that we've done in Northwoods, uh, Arkansas, in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And uh, the Walden's project that uh, is opening up this coming weekend. Uh, so a handful of signage plans. But now we're, we're doing a big signage plan for Snowshoe, West Virginia. Uh, that is not necessarily within the resort itself, within their operating boundary, but for all their cross-country and backcountry trails. So we dove deep into their mapping of trails and uh, spent probably since about April uh, figuring out what that signage plan is going to look like. And now we're uh, working with uh, them to finalize the package and start to get things ordered up for installation next spring. Yeah, we're, we've, we've been really busy. Uh, it's been great. We are recording this a week after you got got done at the Outdoor Economy Conference in Cherokee, North Carolina. How was that conference? Uh, it was a great conference. Uh, this is year number five for that conference. Really started out as being for outdoor business related uh, functions, kind of Western North Carolina, uh, through the Made by Mountains organization and Mountain BizWorks. And uh, the first few years, I think it was relatively small. Uh, last year. They, they grew it quite a bit, and it was in the casino in Cherokee, North Carolina. Attendees from around the U.S. and a lot of presenters from all over the U.S. and internationally a bit. So um, I'd put it at the tops of uh, the conferences that I go through throughout the year. Great speakers, good interaction, great outdoor recreation around it. Pretty exciting to, to be there and see folks and what they're doing around North Carolina, South Carolina. Virginia, Tennessee, like there was, it was really good energy around it. And special for us too, because we're doing planning and design of a large pump track complex that's going to have some skills development trails and a bunch of site amenities with it. Uh, they're going to be calling it the igniter park. So it's the, I would say the incubator for riders before they're going up on fire mountain. So uh, pretty cool naming for all that. Uh, it's now under contract with Bell Solutions and American Ramp Company to uh, be building that next year. And uh, I think it'll be, it's likely to be one of the larger asphalt pump track complexes along with everything else around it uh, on, in east of the Mississippi. So that, I'm sure somebody will beat that soon enough. I'm sure West Virginia will come up with something, but pretty exciting to see that coming together. And next year, that Outdoor Economy Conference is going to be in October to make sure that the pump track and the bike park are all ready to go. So attendees can check it out and pretty excited to see it come together. That is a cool thing. And we talked about that when I had Jeremy on the podcast as well. You know, he he brought that up back in January of this year. And so those that want to learn <clears throat> more about the Igniter Pump Track or Igniter Park, I mean, they can, yeah. they can kind of tune into that. And you guys were, I think you guys were kind of in the final stages of wrapping up the design at that point. We were probably wrapping up back in January, wrapping up the schematic design and really landing on what the scale and scope of the project was going to be. And then we got other consultants involved in from local engineers to a lighting engineer uh, from uh, actually Mike McIntyre from Action Sports Design. So it, it grew, the project team grew pretty big to uh, get everything dialed in. There, it's a pre-existing parking lot site and with its own infrastructure and utilities in there. So this is more like an urban park development than it is natural surface trails out in the woods. So it was Definitely uh, taking that that engineering and permitting approach uh, that we like to bring in the the local experts, local engineers to help us navigate all that. So I put together a bid package and Bell uh, Solutions and American Ramp Company got that lined up. So took it to some detailed design, which is exciting to see it go from vision to hard lines and some CAD mapping and popped up in 3D. So Bell Solutions works with another subcontractor that does uh, 3D modeling of a lot of their projects. and. When they opened up the Outdoor Economy Conference, Chief Sneed actually pulled up a video, and part of that video included the animated fly-through of the bike park. That was really neat to see and have a lot of folks from all over the U.S. Uh, put their eyes on that planning and design deliverable. So uh, we're excited to see it come to reality and, and be on the ground and ride it next year. Well, it's awesome to see that deliverables like that are actually becoming a thing in our industry and that we're growing up and getting more professional because those, you know, it's it's... Conferences like that and dealing with elected officials that where this stuff really in, in government contracts, really, 
where this stuff becomes super important. Absolutely. And uh, one reason I was there is that we do a pre-conference session that really takes the planning and design section of uh, Trail Labs and spends three hours in an afternoon just walking through what, what's the process? How do you go from vision and ideas to getting it on the ground? So we really focus on what is feasibility studies? What's the assessment? What's the what's planning versus design? And what questions you ask in planning that informs design? And what questions you ask in design that informs permitting and procurement of builders? So just touching on those high points of, yeah, there's a process here. And folks in the audience were uh, not other nonprofits with uh, land trusts. There were some federal land managers, some state land managers, some advocates at large. Uh, so it was great to just see the light bulbs again going off above people's heads when they're seeing like, oh, yeah, OK, there is a well thought out process here. So that was a pre-conference session that worked really good. And then it was great to see those folks throughout the next couple of days at the conference. Well, that's like the perfect transition to Inbetrail Labs Foundations, which this will go live after your Cedar City okay. conference, but you've been doing Trail Labs Foundations since June of 2018. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when I showed up there and you and Jed were in the front row, um, smiling yeah. like you are now. <laughs> um, yeah, so Trails Labs, we've talked about it, I think, on each of the podcast interfaces that we've done. It's been hugely successful. Uh, it gets folks like mayors, economic development committee members, parks and rec directors, really seeing what's on the ground at the locations that we host Trails Labs at. And we talk through that process, like I just mentioned for that session I did at the, the conference. We dive into a little bit deeper, but then we also add in, how do you activate a project? What's the fundraising? Who, who do you get on your dream team to make it happen? Uh, you know, Things to be thinking about as you get into construction and through construction. How do you program it? How do you measure your success? So, We've seen great successes coming out of Trail Labs, many that roll into applying for a Trail Accelerator grant and they get a, awarded a, a grant and that helps them get to design and, and uh, puts the, the project on the ground. So uh, the one that uh, we're doing here in the next couple of weeks, which uh, will be after, like you said, this airs, but it's in Cedar City, Utah. It's our second time being in Cedar City. So now we've landed on doing the spring one in Bentonville, Arkansas, and our fall one in Cedar City, Utah. And the Cedar City, Utah one is, is more of a lens towards that large landscape and working with federal agencies uh, compared to in Bentonville really highlights that urban interface and, and projects in that uh, uh, more park-like setting, but also the fringes from uh, front country to maybe middle country where in Cedar City, we're talking middle country to to backcountry, but also in interfaces of the communities. We're seeing that Cedar City, small community that's growing around outdoor recreation. And uh, we're going to have another team building trails there this fall. And it's planning there has grown from 30 miles of trail to 100 miles of trail and almost 40 miles of trail been built and create partnerships with the Bureau of Land Management and Iron Trail Craft, which is the volunteer group there, along with other partners. It's been hugely successful. So it's a great case study and model that we get to experience there during the couple of days of Trails Labs. Yeah. And speaking of the Trail Accelerator grant, Walden's Ridge Park is finally opening, I believe now, like yeah. literally as we record this, which has been yes. a couple of years in the making. Well, I mean, just since it was built. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think uh, Les would say eight years it's been in from visioning. And that's one that started out with some folks attending Trails Labs in Bentonville. Uh, a handful of years ago, applied for a trail accelerator grant. Uh, this project is showing how successful private and public partnerships can make a project happen. It was private land, 250 acres of private land with a couple hundred vertical feet of elevation. A Tennessee land trust purchased the property and there was private dollars then that got involved in the planning and design and construction of the trails, all private dollars. Along the way, there was always conversations with the county on once this is completed, we want to transfer this property to the county so that it's public lands. It's um, operated by the county, managed by Sorba Chattanooga. And uh, we finally have made it to that point. Uh, construction really, yeah, did wrap up a year and a half ago. We've had a team there a couple times doing some maintenance along the way since just to make sure it's, it's buffed out. And, uh, Sorba Chat, their volunteers have been doing a great job. They've been doing some rides out there. So while it hasn't been open to the public, it's been open to membership uh, for Sorba Chat through some events. 
And uh, we're this is one that we're really excited about. This is pretty much a resort style bike park on public lands with some great vertical elevation and the handful of downhill trails anywhere from beginner flowy to intermediate tech to black diamond jump trails. It's it's a really cool spot. And uh, we had some great partners in developing it too. We did most of the build with our teams, but we brought in the McGills to do one of the jump trails and we had Barry Smith come in and do one of the technical trails. So it's gonna be really cool. Let's finally get the, the public out there and start to see some of the content coming out of YouTube videos and other articles done on it. So that's neat. And alongside with that, another trail network in Chattanooga, the Etna Mountain Trails. Uh, again, a trail accelerator grant project. Uh, we were out there building the first phase this past spring, and they're opening up Etna um, right alongside Open Up Walden. So Chattanooga is blowing up on trail access and purpose plan, purpose design, purpose built trails, which is a great compliment to already great riding there that is known for being pretty technical and uh, great access there. But uh, chat, Sorba Chat was really looking for, we want some modern trail here in Chattanooga so we don't have to be driving elsewhere all the time. So there's a lot of great things happening around Tennessee, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, let's transition into Mountain Bike Trail Development, which is this book that I have right here in front of me, as you can see, but no one else can see because this isn't. Oh, I got mine right here too. This is this isn't video. This is only audio. But I know, huh? <laughs> it's guidelines for a successful for successfully managing the process. Now, this is a book that initially was you know as a partnership with Rock Solid and the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission, with specifically with Renee Matson. In your you know since you got involved, you know what was your perspective as on the vision behind the book and why someone in a government agency in Minnesota thought something like this would be important, which is just that in itself is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been talking with Aaron a bit about this resource coming together. Um, he kind of looped me in on the idea behind it when he was talking with Renee about it. And Renee's initial goal was we want to create a resource for communities in Minnesota to understand what it takes and learn about the process to get high quality trails on the ground because they have the funding mechanism that they do. And they got great funding there. They got good access there. And they had some projects that were just teed up for success right away when that funding came into place. But then they were getting grant applications from communities throughout Minnesota, or maybe there's communities they thought they should get grant applications from and they weren't getting applications. And they wanted to provide just a, a guide that communities could read first to get a little bit more informed about what are mountain bike trails? What do these look like? What does it take to get them planned, designed, and put on the ground? It's not just volunteers putting trail on the ground overnight. Like uh, Renee was seeing that the grant applications were really misinformed and wanted to get them stronger grant applications. And we're, we're seeing that elsewhere too. Utah has great funding. And one of the Feedback we're getting from uh, their Office of Outdoor Recreation and others is like, we can't get anybody to apply or the applications we get, just they're not stating their case well enough. And we got $6 million sitting here that we can't award because we're not getting good grant applications. So informing those trail champions and those that are filling up the grant applications to put in a good story and goals and objectives to get trails on the ground. So that's where it started. You know, Renee was seeing that they were missing some opportunities because they weren't getting all the applications they're hoping to. So staying kind of finger on the pulse through those conversations. And it got to a point where Aaron and Jake Karsten, while Jake was still working for Rock Solid, is like, hey, we got this document going. Right now, it's, it was like 30 or 50 pages. And Mike, can you just get your eyes on it? Review it. Let us know if we're on the right path. Um, we would love to get your input and, and see what this could turn into. And my first blush through it and also shared it with uh, Steve Kasachek and Shane Wilson while they were still working here at in Betrayal Solutions since now, or since then, they've moved on. Um, but all three of us are like, man, this is a great start. Um, but we can see that there's some things that we could add to it to even make it a more robust document and uh, be more of a, a wider impact. So that's where we really started to dive in. Aaron and I had a couple of meetings on, okay, what does your involvement look like? What do you want to add to it? Can you guys bring some funding to this? Can you help uh, with getting it out on the streets? So it, it grew from that initial smaller guide to now what it is at 250 pages or so. Uh, so 
it was it was a process for sure. I think uh, it was in the works for about four years, but really exciting to have it out on the streets now. Well, and this is a book that was maybe put forth in the state of Minnesota. It's really a guide that can be used definitely across the country, but in some situations across the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Initially, the title of the book was going to be like Minnesota's Mountain Bike Trail Development Guide. And uh, quickly, and Renee was uh, the first one to say it, was let's take the state name off of the title. Like let's, This is a guide that we can put on the landscape, make sure people know that it's funded by Minnesota funds and collaborated on by two leaders in the trails industry and have it available as a resource beyond the state. And that's where Imba's role came in too. It's like, okay, we can help via our channels and uh, just our, our own website or other partners to get this book out of the landscape. And that includes Imba Canada and uh, Imba EU. Like they're excited for this resource now too. And they're, they're looking at ways to get it throughout their membership. Well, and I'm looking at the notes that you had sent over to me. And it says in your notes that it's currently being translated into French. Yep. 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 Uh, so an organization up in Quebec, um, and they've been around longer than Imba, um, based around cycling, uh, they came to us and said, hey, we've been working on updating some of our own guidelines. And they had shared that with us around like trailability levels and how they're looking to maybe adjust some things there. And there's a handful of other topics. I mentioned we were putting this book together. We'll let you guys know when it's ready. And once they got their eyes on it right away, they're like, okay, let's figure out a way that we can partner so we can get it translated, make sure we have the right people on the team to review so there's nothing lost in translation. So that's where we got a couple of guys from Imba Canada involved and got the agreement in place that Renee signed off on. And yeah, right now it's being translated into French for, for that organization. And uh, I'd imagine like past books, we've had translated in Spanish. So I can see that happening. We'll see where else it goes from there. Well, and this book officially was released, I, I believe, right around May 15th of yeah. this year. Aaron and you were also presenters at the International Trail Summit held in Reno, which is maybe three or four weeks before that, three weeks at least before that. Let's talk about how that presentation went in terms of reception. You know, that's, you know, there's, I mean, people in the trail industry, like all aspects of the trail industry were at that conference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was welcomed as a, a new resource. So Aaron and I, our presentation really kind of covered what you know I've been talking here over the past five minutes is uh, what was this resource meant to be? What's it grown into? We discussed the, the why, the how, the what of what it's uh, informing people on. And then we just kind of really talked about high-level topics throughout the book. We showed the table of contents. We showed some excerpts from the book. And uh, we got a lot of great feedback. So it was really just a, an intro to the resource, letting people know that it's coming. Uh, we were hoping to have it on the streets before the summit. But uh, we just let everybody know, here's the website that's going to be available for as a, a free download or a digital flipbook. And uh, yeah, people were really excited then eventually get their their eyes on it. But we, we kind of primed the pump by doing that presentation. And we had uh, advocates, we had land managers, we had other trail planners and designers and builders in the room. And I saw a lot of nodding heads. Everybody was like, yeah, this is, this is great to see. This is kind of helping us as an industry inform others on what we do. And uh, those others that were getting informed were like, okay, yeah, now I get it. This is, there's an industry around this. Uh, so and there's a process. So that was good to see. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's been a handful of books that have came out since the original guide to sweet single track. And, and I'm not going to say this book is a replacement for it because it, it's, a, it's a totally different book, but it's been, I mean, that's, I was doing the math. I think that was 19 years ago that pre that book came out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been years. People are asking, when are we going to put out the updated trail solutions book? Uh, where's 2.0? You know, what are the updated guidelines? You know, we're doing so many different things now on trails. We need a new resource. I'd say that this isn't an exact replacement of it. The trail solutions book is still a great foundation for developing sustainable trails. I think what you could say is that at the time that that book came out, a vast majority of the trails being put on the ground were being built by volunteers. So we were arming the volunteers with good knowledge that was coming out of our trail care crew at the time and uh, conveying that knowledge to land managers. So getting everybody kind of on the same page on 
things to be thinking about when you're assessing trails, you're putting this new single track trail experience on the ground um, and arm some folks with this tools around signage and, and planning and implementation. This book, fast forward 20 years, is uh, the lens around it is, yeah, there's a profession around this. Yes, there is a process from ideas and vision all the way through to construction. And here's all the things that can be thinking about along the way. And oh, by the way, engage with a professional, get the right people on your team. Volunteers are a key role in it all, but it's not necessarily being totally uh, on the shoulders of volunteers. So there's a lot of different but similar content in it. It's just a lot more modern take on some things. Well, as far as your, you know, so you, you kind of touched almost every part of the book when it was going through its whole process of, of going yeah. to being published. What are some of the, what are some of the higher point takeaways that you have or topics that you feel are, you know, people that would like prime the pump for people going out to look at this book from this show? Man. Yeah. Uh, the you whole book. Ask, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you, before you did ask me like what sections I was involved in and touched them all, um, kind of was our initial copy editor. Um, at first, uh, Renee and Jake weren't thinking of having a copy editor involved. I'm like, this is now growing to you need to have a copy editor. So I'll, I'll take it as far as I can and then have somebody else really put the polish on it. But uh, key takeaways for me in there was like our lift on, you know, why trails? Just conveying that to the reader. Why are we putting as much effort and funding into trails so that positive impact to communities, uh, health and wellness of uh, uh, neighborhoods, uh, engaging youth, like the, all the reasons that we all talk about as advocates of, of getting trails on the ground. Uh, and then going through just touching on trail sustainability. What's the few different aspects of sustainability? It's not just environmental sustainability or physical sustainability, socially sustainable, fiscally sustainable. So we talk about that a bit. And we, again, touch on trail experiences. The Guidelines for Quality Trail Experience book uh, that was done in 2017 is a foundation for that conversation around experiences. But we want to have a much of this kind of wrapped up in one guide, referencing other books so people can then go, okay, I'm going to go get that Jakuti book, which is a free download too. So I can be into this stuff with uh, very little out of my pocket, but we're rehashing those experiences and then how we can convey that into trails. So we talk about all the different users, but then we really kind of focus in on the mountain bike aspect and all the different types of trails and experiences that can be out there. And then I think the biggest key takeaway is there is a process that uh, many of us, and I'd say now a vast majority of those in the industry are, are following a very similar process. And this is where Aaron and I were talking. Let's get the process that we see works really well into a resource and, and formalize it a little bit more from the assessment to the planning to the design, how all those inform getting to construction. I was going to say, yeah, it's, and speaking of the, speaking of the, the, the process and the steps, you know, there it's eight steps in the book from what I can tell. It's peppered throughout the book, but the last one is my favorite. Oh, and that's, evolution? that's the evolve. And that's why, and that's because like, you can't like, once it's done, you're not done. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that in trails labs too. And maybe the evolution is that we have a, a larger plan that might outline 50 miles of trail, but phase one was 10 miles of trail. Well, our phase two, we might have learned some things from building phase one that evolves what phase two might have initially thought to have been. And it updates that. So it's a cyclical lifestyle, no matter if it's within one project or many projects in the area. And how do you keep it fresh? You know, I uh, don't necessarily want to drop a 30 mile trail network on a community who hasn't had trails before. It's like, what are they going to do with this little puppy? Um, we're, let's maybe give them some beginner and intermediate trails that they get in, get into and get used to and then start peppering in more advanced trails or other experiences uh, to allow it evolve and keep it fresh. And if it's a destination, you know, what do people want? They always want to see something new happen at the destination. If there's nothing new, they're not going to come back. So that's also an aspect of that evolve uh, component. For sure. And I talked about this with Jake. So we, you know, listeners of this show, if you listen to the show that will come out prior to this show, it's with Jake Karsten, who is, uh, I guess, the, the cited author of this book. But in talking to Jake, you know, I asked him, you know, looking back, what are some of the things you would have liked to have added or things that maybe will be added in a, in a future version of this or evolution of this book? Yeah, uh, kind of similar to what we did with 
NEPA white paper that we came up with. So in the book, we're like, well, do we touch on National Environmental Policy Act? That's a slippery slope. So what do we do? And with Renee and Jake, we've talked about, you know, this book can be kind of a a living document because most of it's being consumed digitally. So we can always add sections. So we're, we're talking about adding appendices to it. And one that spun out as we were working on the book was, yeah, let's do like a, a NEPA intro for trail champions. So we engaged Martha Becton of Becton Trails to, to write that up. And uh, it's a great just first stop for folks who have, haven't done anything on federal lands or have gotten federal funding that required NEPA to happen to be like, here's what NEPA is. Here's where it started. That's what the act that it came out of. And here's the different layers and sizes of NEPA uh, that you may need to go through. And, and, and the process. So besides that, uh, we've been talking about uh, creating a signage toolkit, which already Rich Edwards at West Virginia University has been working on. I've been collaborating with him a little bit on the review and adding some content there. So Renee, Jake, and Rich and I have been talking about, okay, how can we take that WVU resource and bring it in as an appendice to this book? We talk a lot about how things evolved in procuring builders and contracting builders and how does different flavors of funding influence that and what's the uh, what's the difference between design build design bid build does your state allow design build like there's a lot of complexities and it'd be hard to have a deep dive in this book because this book would have them twice as thick if we went into that so um, how can we provide some information around procurement and contracting without totally getting state specific but uh, at least uh, letting people see what uh, some options may be and then along with kind of that procurement piece, uh, plan sets and bid sets, putting some consistent typicals in a set that uh, folks throughout the industry or those who are putting contracts or bid packages together can point to, like, you know, engineers or landscape architects that um, maybe engaged a little bit with uh, natural surface trails, but not fully, but to give them some idea of what these typicals could be from turns and turn types to tread cross sections to rollers and doubles and tables and a handful of things that could be in a, a typical set. Sure, we could grow that to be in 200 drawings, but uh, what's the first 24 that we should start with? And then also we've talked about the stormwater pollution prevention plans that uh, are pretty much tied to pretty much any, any project that you're turning dirt. So uh, if you're moving more than an acre of material, uh, or ground disturbance, sorry, more than an acre of ground disturbance, you know, what does the Clean Water Act require in there? And uh, making sure that we're uh, following some of the rules out there that are related to ground disturbance. Uh, a white paper on that would be good too. So while the book touches on a lot of things, uh, there's some deeper dives or uh, along with some some consumable resources that we could put together as appendices. Yeah. And it was, I asked the same question in, uh, in a very similar fashion to Jake during that conversation. and we kept coming back to plans and typical sections and construction details as being something that we definitely need to continue to push forward in the industry. You know, like I joke that a lot of plans you still see coming out today, depending on where they're coming from, are still using illustrations from that 2004 book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or they just replicated that illustration to make it look like it was their own work, which is fine. Um, being copied is a, a great way uh, to know that you're doing good work, but that's pretty dated. And we've seen others come up with typicals out there, um, good and bad. Uh, we are creating a lot of uh, drawing sets with many of the bike park, urban-based projects we're doing, like the Cone Park project in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, that was a really big bid set that went out to to bid that Rock Solid is currently uh, building on. And uh, we have a big project down in Dallas, Texas, actually Frisco, Texas, that our drawing set is you know well over 100 pages and it's a, a big project. And we're, we're plowing some ground with those typicals. Now it's like pull it out of those plan sets and make them more generic to be a t- typical. Yeah, definitely. What is some of the feedback you've gotten since the release of this? It's been, you know, it's obviously it was we just talked about how kind of was uh, preliminarily introduced at the. International Trail Summit, officially re- introduced in, in the state of Minnesota at the Capitol on right around May 15th or so. But, you know, so it's been out on the internet for a while now, and some people have ordered copies from Barnes & Noble. Some people have gotten their hands on other copies in other ways. Have you gotten much feedback at all? 
We have. It's it's really been positive feedback. Like, oh man, we've been waiting for an updated resource. And we love how there's so many different aspects that are outlined in here that sets the the path forward for us. I think our initial negative feedback was that it wasn't available in print right away. Um, we had it digital downloads, which I, I think in the first week we had well over 500 downloads. And then there's other websites that picked up our download link and embedded it into their websites. I think State of Vermont did that. It took us a little while to get the on-demand printing like figured out, like the quality of the the print and how we're going to bind it and how can we have Amazon provide it and Barnes and Nobles provide it too. So took a little bit of work there, but now we see that there's copies being uh, purchased left and right. So a lot of great feedback um, and kind of going back to what you asked before too, or mentioned before, it's not necessarily a replacement of the Trail Solutions book, but we got a lot of questions on, is this the new TS book? Like, oh, not really, but uh, there's some great updates there. So yeah, it's been really uh, positive on the feedback that we've getting. Yeah. I know one thing I really like about it is that it was written in a way and presented in a way that somebody that doesn't live and work within the tr- mountain bike trail industry or even a mountain biker can consume it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That was key for us in the reviewing it is uh, let's make this professional and concise. Let's make sure it's something that folks can read through once and then know to jump to certain sections or dive deeper into or share it with others, land managers, decision makers, like, hey, this is uh, what typically happens on on projects uh, across the U.S. So, and that's kind of the key takeaways there, too, is that you know, trails just don't happen overnight. There, there's, a, there's a process to it, informing people of that process. And that uh, planning and design isn't uh, something that should be overlooked. It's key into making sure high quality trails get put on the ground and that there's actually a, an industry and consultants and professionals around doing this. So it, it hits a few different facets of, uh, of goals by getting the book on the ground. As you know, I talk trail planning and design on this podcast all the time because it's, it is such an important part and people, you know, it's, it's, one of the only parts that doesn't get much funding outside of the trail accelerator grant. Cause I don't know of any other, uh, like at least public facing grant opportunities for this, but or for trail planning and design. But the reality is, is like, if you look at, and I've said this before, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep saying it. You look at an overall project, it may be five, five or 10% of the total cost of an actual project. Right. So it's such a, yep. it's such a small cost up front. And then as you guys have proved through the trail accelerator grant, there is so much money that can be found when you actually have a plan and through avenues that people would have never thought of, not just grants. Oh, absolutely. Like since we're on our own zoom here, we can see each other's screens. Like I could share our impact graphic that we did, but we updated our impact report for trail accelerator grant. And just to recap what we've done um, since 2018 is that we've funded 42 projects, 42 applications uh, for planning and design. Uh, to the tune of $577,000. Uh, matching that then means that we've done over a million dollars in planning and design. And uh, that has unlocked $12.8 million of funding for construction. That's, you know, that one to 12 ratio is pretty, pretty awesome. And it, it shows the, the power of planning and design and what that does. It's not just putting the framework of a project in place, but it is informing decision makers, the public, and it's getting the attention of funders. Uh, whenever you ask for money, that a funder will say, well, what's your plan? Well, that's what TAG is doing is getting a, pl- a plan on the ground and in front of people. So it's really exciting to see that happen. Of those 42 projects we've done, you know, 18 of them have included uh, programming or venues for NICA. So we're having impact there. And there's a range of projects that we've done from the urban setting to suburban to, to rural setting. So, Josh, I can send you this impact graphic. You can probably even put it in your, your show notes. But uh, it's uh, pretty cool to see what the impact of it has been. Yeah, well, we can for sure link it in the show notes. It's, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the type of stuff that, I, you know, I've, I've transitioned to less data, more stories as far as like getting, you know, kind of getting the message across, but at the same time, there's still everybody, there's still that, that place where data is super important, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Data helps uh, get more of that funding. 
that helps the funding and the stories, you know, hit the emotional levels, right? Oh, absolutely. And if you can combine the two, uh, I'm still on Aaron up at uh, Cuyuna. I'm like, I want an updated impact graphic from the one you guys did back in like 2015. Because I talk about Cuyuna all the time on how it transformed, revitalized Crosby. And I want an update to those numbers because it's uh, that graphic is great, but it's old data. I want new data. Well, speaking of speaking of Cuyuna 2015, Cuyuna 2015 and Cuyuna 2023 are completely different animals. Absolutely. Yeah. Transformative. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And speaking of evolved, right? That's taking evolved, you know, to the next level, which is exactly why I do love seeing that as step eight in the book. Speaking yep, of that, yep. is there anything in the book that we haven't discussed that you want to throw out there for topics or anything? Mm, no, we've touched on a lot of things in here. You know, looking at the table contents, you know, we talked about the why and the sustainability and experiences and the, the process through assessment to design. We do not a huge dive into contracting and the build aspects, just enough to get good photos in front of people of, you know, what the machines look like on trail, what machines are, are being used, uh, how are we building trail with machines and hand crew following up. We get into a bit of the promoting of it. You know, a good example is Oz Trails, just their branding on that and uh, how that turns into event and programming branding. So, yeah, it's a pretty all-encompassing document. We've touched on most of it here. We talk a little bit, too, about maintenance, and that's what I really hit on through our Trails Labs is maintenance needs to be discussed from beginning, not through the end, because there is an end with maintenance. Uh, so it needs to be considered the whole way. So. That's probably another aspect of the book that we can dive deeper into is operations and maintenance plans. So we'll, we'll see what uh, may come out that way too. That is definitely an important piece of the puzzle that I know anytime I'm talking, talking trails with people, it's always, it always includes, includes maintenance regardless of who the client is and what, you know, what their background is. Yep. Yep. And it's hard to fundraise for maintenance. So what type of funding mechanism can you put into place to make sure that maintenance is taken care of? And uh, you're not burning out your volunteers. Volunteers are a key aspect to getting trails on the ground, but I think the volunteers' role is uh, has changed. Uh, it's it's you burn people out, you break the backs uh, of volunteers if you just stickly go with volunteers. So, what can we do to lighten that load and and utilize volunteers in a way that just helps with funding and engagement and community? So, yeah, for sure. Well, let's move into looking forward for for Imba and what's going on. Yeah. I know you guys, you guys have a crew in Winona. I think, well, I don't know if they're still in Winona, but you had a crew in Winona for sure. They might still be there working alongside Rock Solid for a project that you and I were talking about back in 2019. Actually, maybe even 2018. That was during the first uh, podcast with you on Driftless Dirt. Yeah. You and Jake Karsten, strangely, huh? Yeah, exactly. Jake <laughs> and I were there. That, that, that was funny because we got snowed out uh, while we were there. Hopefully do some design, but yeah, we that project started 2018 with a very high-level desktop-based concept plan for the bluffs overlooking uh, Winona, and that was done with by a local engineer. Rock Solid did a little bit of desktop exercise with that, and then we, as Trail Solutions, were asked to come in and kind of dive into ground truthing a concept plan and start to do some design. So over you know, as COVID was hitting us in 2020, we had Joey Klein. And uh, a couple others on the ground starting to fine tune that planning. And we designed uh, 12 miles of trail. Overall plan is for 25 miles of trail. And one hiccup we had along the way was just getting through permitting for potentially impacting rattlesnake habitat. So a lot of rattlesnakes up in that uh, bluff that we're working on. And the sticking point was will construction activities result in a death of a rattlesnake individual so i had to go through a take permit and uh that took a couple of years so with turnover at the dnr and uh having the dnr understand what a construction process looks like and when construction is best to happen it took some time <laughs> that's for sure but we got that permit in place and uh there's been a snake handler that comes out every morning and they've been building there for now two months and have yet to see a snake. Um, but I got up there a month ago, met with the, our team there, saw Rock Siles team a little bit, and uh, got to ride a couple of trails that our team had 
had built and Winona is getting an awesome trail experience. So that that's going to be really great for the ridership there that's been hungry for modern trails. Um, you know, they're in the middle of a whole bunch of great riding with, you know, you there in lacrosse to stuff further north. So yeah, uh, this, this project is really neat. And that was funding that came from the state of Minnesota. And they're hoping to continue to get more funding to build out that, that network. So that's been what's happening, you know, kind of close by in Minnesota. We've had build crews in West Virginia building in Morgantown at West Woods Run, which is a small trail network that introduced some progressive jumps in, uh, some more bike-optimized uh, trails there. Uh, a second phase at Kakapin State Park, where we did a skills development loop and a little bit of a bike park experience with some progressive bike ramp features. So those both wrapped up the spring. Uh, and then one of the crews went to Etna Mountain in Chattanooga and did that first phase. I'm may not be totally right on this but i think they built about six miles of trail so that's that's opening up this weekend uh the other team that was in west virginia then they went to omaha nebraska did kind of a second phase at mandan park that we built last year in a very underutilized park adjacent to uh underserved community and seeing the kids out there riding has been spectacular and what we did for second phase is added in progressive bike ramp features and created a little mini bike park along with uh, adding some components to trails that we didn't get to finish the, the previous year. Now, currently, pretty exciting stuff for us is that we got a team building in Silverton, Colorado. That's been a project that's been uh, a dream for a while. I think we did initially did the design there in 2019 and navigated some BLM permitting and support from the county and then getting funding. So they, they got some CPW funding, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So phase one, we started on this year, going to go back in and, and continue building next year. And then next week, we're kicking off projects in Prescott, Arizona. Now, that's exciting one. This is on Forest Service lands and uh, Forest Service is known for, you know, all their trails are shared use and uh, aren't built specifically for one user type. Well, actually, this one here is built for mountain bikes and highly bike optimized, which is uh, a kind of precedent setting for Forest Service. We've seen some stuff kind of turned up on the mountain bike experience on projects on Forest Service lands. But this one, the purpose and need was written in a way that said, we have existing trails around Prescott, that we have a high density of trail users across the networks causing conflicts and issues because these trails were just came together kind of organically over the years. And during the pandemic and out of it, we have so much, many more people on the trail we, as the Forest Service, want to develop a mountain bike trail experience, gravity trails in Prescott on Forest Service lands. So that's really exciting. And it was approved via categorical exclusion. And uh, our team, along with the city of Prescott, um, they have a trail building crew that are going to be out there building also. So that one, that one's really neat. So that's uh, going to be fun to get tires on, on that project next spring. Well, it was Close to three years ago, we recorded where it was you and I and Patrick Cal and a parks yeah. and a parks official from the city of Madison. That would be that would be the episode ten that I refer referenced in the beginning of this show on the Trail yeah. Accelerator Grant program. But Patrick brought up how that was just starting to be talked about in Prescott three years ago. Now it's it's becoming real. So that's awesome. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, made our way through the NEPA process, got it approved, got approved this past spring. And uh, Pemba, which is the Imba chapter there, has been doing some great fundraising around it. And uh, yeah, the community is is super excited. I think the project scale and scope kind of incubated, evolved <laughs> from the time of design finishing to NEPA completed. So there's just a ton of hype around it. And our crews are really excited to, to get on the ground there. Another project you have listed here, which is, I, I believe this was more of a planning design side for you guys, but that is the Cone Park in, in Sioux City, Iowa, that Rock Salad is currently building. What's the what's the expected end result of, of that particular trail in Sioux City? Yeah. Or not trail, I should say project. It's not really a trail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that project came to us a few years ago from the planning side, and uh, it was a combination of city parks along with a major funder uh, in, in that city. And the funder was wanting to make this park grow into uh, what was relatively underutilized for most of the lands. Um, some aspects of it 
have a, a tubing hill in the in the winter, some other recreational facilities near the parking lot. But there's a lot of acreage that has some vertical elevation on it that wasn't uh, being used. So we went in and did some planning and identified opportunity for um, a fair amount of trail mileage, I think around 10 plus miles of trail, both north and south of uh, a highway that kind of bisects it, but there's a tunnel that goes underneath the highway. So the connectivity there is already happening. And uh, we then moved into design. And in Iowa, Iowa is one state that if you're the designer of a project, you can't build the project. So we knew that we were in that design to create a bid package to put up to bid to, to builders. And uh, when you do design bid build, you got to put that much more detail into your design. So we spent a lot of time understanding what could be done there, working with local engineering firm. Uh, the biggest uh, constraint or just issue there is their lossless soils, um, that they are highly erodible. They have an amazing angle, natural angle of repose when they're just sitting there undisturbed. But once you compact and disturb those soils, they can become highly erosive. So what were we doing to limit the impact of uh, point source drainage, making sure we're probably doing grade reversals more often than we typically would? Uh, what are we compacting for soils? What are we removing for vegetation? And uh, due to some timing of things there, we actually had to have a crew come in and clear corridor way before Rock Sal has been out there building. So. Uh, we spent a lot of time in detailed design and doing it in a matter that the bid package can, conveys, this is where the trails really need to go. We got some flexibility, but not a ton. So um, pretty big effort there, along with uh, working with Vell Solutions, who is building a big pump track there too. So it's going to be, I'm loving all these projects that we're doing that are being impactful within communities. And that's why when you ask me like, what's going on with us right now, I'm talking about construction projects and not planning projects because well, we're talking planning right now, but uh, just seeing the implementation of these projects is really, really neat. So the Cone Park one, look for that opening probably um, next year, either spring or summer. Uh, I, I guess probably summer once everything gets buttoned up. But uh, yeah, really cool project. Mm -hmm. With mm -hmm. that, I got one thing I'd like to close with that I think is yeah. going to be both humorous and like a, maybe a head scratcher. But do you have anything before I bring this one forward? Because this is something that what I'm going to bring forward just came out in the ski industry uh, this week and you're going to love it. Oh, I know what you're bringing up. I know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, nothing else in closing for me. Uh, always good just catching up with you. And there's just great things happening across the U.S. and internationally trails wise that we're trying to keep up with. and and uh, share the love on. So it's, it's all good stuff. So for those that may not be as tuned into the ski industry as you and I, yeah. what are your thoughts on the new double blue run classification added to the trail map at Big Sky Resort in Montana? Because we kind of know that our trail rating system is kind of a, you know, has kind of evolved as side by side with the uh, trail rating system for skiing, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. green, green circle, blue square, black diamond, double black diamond, now double blue squares. <laughs> now double blue. I saw that a couple of days ago and I instantly pushed that article to a few people that we've been hot and heavy in the conversation about how do our trail ability levels need to evolve. And uh, don't know if I'm a fan of the double blue square right next to each other. I can see maybe where maybe a, uh, a graphic communications person said, you know, it's easier for maybe colorblind, impaired folks to see two squares next to each other and, and take that as two blue squares. But man, this is a topic that uh, we, we're not going <laughs> to tackle <laughs> during this call, but it's a hot topic kind of happening amongst uh, uh, the industry. We did meet as a small group at the International Trail Summit to talk about, you know, does our trailability uh, distribution uh, matrix, does it need to evolve? Does it need to grow? Um, there's pros and cons of that conversation. And uh, I think it's going to take a while for us to get and land on uh, something that is new or just grown upon. I think the biggest question out there is uh, our widest range of users are the intermediate riders. You, you look at the, the ridership and the ability levels, it's a bell-shaped curve. You got, uh, say, 10, 20% beginners. You got 60% intermediates, and the rest of it is advanced riders. 
Uh, right now, we just have one blue square for that big chunk in the middle. And from the planning and design side of the ski industry that I come from, design guidelines did have a low intermediate, intermediate, and advanced intermediate breakdown of grades and trail widths when it comes to skiing. Well, there's a lot of times in natural surface trail design, we talk about light blue and dark blue. So we're already talking that way, but we don't have guidelines around that and specific uh, you know, grade ranges and obstacle appropriate obstacles. Um, there's a couple different schools of thought there. Do we, If we add more ability level categories, are we just increasing the liability for land managers out there to stay on top of how they're signing their trails and what's appropriate or not? Um, but then the other side is we need to inform our ridership as best we can. And I, I personally uh, maybe lean towards the informing the users more, but then also you look at the land manager side and the liability of additional categories um, that might cause some, uh, some pains. Uh, but I was surprised to see that double blue square come out of Montana. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to see four black diamonds now or or one and a half green circles. Um, <laughs> I think it, it could complex, make things complex. Well, and that's kind of what my first thought was when I saw this headline is like, okay, how thinly do we, how thin is the line between green to blue and blue to black? And then you have black and double black. And so do we need, I mean, like I kind of just look at blue as blue and if it's harder than blue, it's single black diamond. Like that's kind of my take on it as just a, a user, I guess. Obviously, we know that trail ratings are subjective to the builder, designer, uh, land manager, and where it might be located within the world. You know, a blue trail in Wisconsin might be green in, in Colorado, or a black trail in Wisconsin might be blue in Colorado in some cases. Or, you know, you hear those arguments too. But I just figured I'd oh, yeah. throw some humor into this conversation and throw out the double blue yeah. thing, and we don't we don't need to go deep on it. It was really more for tongue in cheek humor and to keep the listener engaged. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sorry, I went a little deep on it. It's easy for me to get into that. So, yeah, I thought it was entertaining. I was talking to somebody earlier today. They're like, "Well, they're a private ski resort. Like, if they want to have a rating from like snails to squirrels, they can do whatever they want." <laughs> yeah. Do we do like a, a gray squirrel and a black squirrel and a red squirrel? Yeah, yeah. And since the red squirrels are super aggressive, is that like a black diamond? <laughs> Well, yeah, like I was in Norway this summer and I rode at Trissel Bike Park, which was amazing. But over in Europe, they have green, blue, red and black. But in my mind, red is harder than black. So I ended up going off a feature that I had no business going off of. I somehow stuck the landing. But um, the way I put it in my head was that red means blood, black means dead. So um, that helped me uh, navigate the rest of those optional features. So we're, when you start looking internationally at signage and ability levels, it gets even more complex. Yeah. And there's a, where did I just, I just saw this. There's, there is an international organization that's starting to tackle this whole thing, but it, and I think, I, I think I might have to just reach out and potentially um, see where that one goes, just because I think the conversation is something that is going to continue to to evolve. And this is a good platform for those kind of conversations, at least for openly talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I probably saw the same thing that you were dissenting towards on the international side. Um, I saw an article, I'm trying to remember what it was in, but it, uh, what did they call it? The international trail rating system? I think so. Yeah. 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 And uh, talk about complex and adding a lot of things to try to absorb informationally when you're riding a trail. Uh, that one was getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and back to the red versus black, I would have thought the same thing you thought, to be honest with you. So I don't think you made a mistake that I would have made the same mistake is what I'm saying. Yep. 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 Keep saying your toes. Well, at least you stuck the landing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of hooting and hollering as that happened. It was a, uh, did you ship a bike over to Norway or did you rent while you were there? Um, I actually, so going back to trails labs, uh, connections, uh, I think it was about four years ago, we had a pretty good contingency from Norway come out there. Uh, so we had, I think, 10 folks from Norway come to Trails Labs or co not contingency, contingent. Yeah. Contingent. <laughs> so we had a, we had a, yeah. Yeah. If you're going to edit this in or not, I'll start with saying that we had a good contingent from Norway come to Trails Labs. And I stayed in touch with many of them, one of which was Olve Norvig. Um, he is the bike park manager at Trissel Bike Park, which is at the largest ski resort in Norway, uh, owned by Ski Star, uh, operated by Ski Star. So once we booked our trip to Norway, I got a hold of Olve and said, hey, coming out, 
definitely want to ride. Let's see if we can make that happen. He's like, yep, I'll have a bike for you and we'll be ready to go. So went there and they have about 30K of trails coming out of their base area. That's their kind of cross country network, but they have some really fun flow and uh, technical trails. That's where they got the B-Rage uh, bike park. So um, that Norwegian rider who was you know blowing up uh, Red Bull um, films and everything. So he helped design this uh, uh, bike park, which I looked at it like, man, they only built half the trails because everything's gapped out. <laughs> but uh, that was neat to see. And then we went up on their lift and did a couple of lift served rides, which was actually their first day lift operations for that summer and we were there during the summer solstice so actually it was friday they didn't open up the lift until four in the afternoon and they're running it to 10 o'clock at night because it didn't get dark until 3 30 in the morning so it just kicked off a summer bike festival so got to uh ride with Olve and uh enjoyed their trails thoroughly like i was very impressed with the work that they've done there they've done some great things so much so when i said Olve, this is some of the best trails I've ridden on a resort. He went and scurried off and got his marketing director to, to do a little interview with me that popped up on their website and their socials. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And it sounds like Norway is kind of an up and coming uh, nation in terms of, of mountain trails. Cause we, I mean, Glenn Jacobs is doing yep. a huge development there as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's been, uh, this, he, they're back building again this summer. Um, that zone is pretty tough to get to. Um, I'm planning on going back to Norway next spring and uh, do some other riding actually a cousin of mine there he's he's on the precipice of becoming a bike nerd like us and uh he wants to do a gravel tour in northern norway and then we want to go check out those trails that world trails has been building that sounds incredible so world as we know world trails has been involved with some pretty pretty high level things including stuff in australia and tasmania blue derby you know and other parts of the Um, world as well that's what I want to go check out since I've ridden at Derby. I want to go and uh, uh, ride in Norway. Uh, Glenn, Glenn's an awesome guy. Yeah. And when I had Glenn on the show, the, one, the thing that really stuck out to me with that particular part of that uh, conversation was that they were building the ski resort around the trails instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. 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 And, you know, rolling that back to home, uh, Rib Mountain, the trail expansion that they do for ski trails, well, we're going to work hand in hand on how the mountain bike trails work there um, because of the terrain uh, we're going to be doing some bike optimized trails with you know sculpted features and we want to make sure those are tucked away between ski trails rather than out on the ski slopes so because uh, that impacts snowmaking and grooming operations so we're going to be working hand in hand there which is pretty cool well and coming from your background at se group how is that how is that a welcome change? Usually it used to be like mountain bikers were getting, you know, basically pigeonholed into the tree islands at resorts. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, not seeing it too often where it's being designed hand in hand because uh, ski is the priority. But uh, when you're in locations like we are in the Midwest, upper Midwest, where we have limited area and slopes that maybe are pretty gentle. So our trails end up, our ski trails be more fall line or like, you know, packed together in the fall line that we don't have much for tree islands to work with Charles Skinner and with SE group on the ski area planning at Rib Mountain, along with the mountain bike trail planning. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Well, Mike, yeah. before we close this thing out, this one out, I always leave the opportunity for thank yous or anything, anything else you want to bring up before we hit stop on this one? Well, again, thanks for having me on here. I always enjoy our conversations. I'd say, Thanks to Renee and the organization up there in Minnesota for the support and the funding to get that resource out there. Uh, it was great working with Jake and Aaron from Rock Solid on putting out that that resource. And uh, just in general, just thanks to the overall professionalism of our industry. Uh, we're turning things up on what's happening out across the U.S. And it's great to see other uh, others out there doing great work and uh, putting amazing trails in the ground. And thanks to my team. I talk a lot about projects, but uh, they're the ones doing a lot of lift on these projects. Uh, uh, my team of planners and designers and just uh, IMBA support through our community engagement team and our education team. Uh, we're, we're doing some really great things out there and impacting communities. Yes, you are. Well, Mike, as always, I really appreciate your time. We were both super busy. So to get this one fit in over the lunch hour was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show 
and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect Podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the Affiliate Links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.